The future of project management is changing fast. On Projectified with PMI, we'll help you stay ahead of the trends as we talk about what that means for the industry and for everyone involved. I'm Stephen W. May for Projectified with PMI. For an easy way to stay up to date on Projectified with PMI, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and PMI.org slash podcast. In this episode, we meet Dana Brownlee, former project manager and strategy consultant and the founder of Professionalism Matters, Incorporated. We ask Dana to share her insights on creating highly effective working relationships between millennial workers and the generation before them. In addition to identifying a little-known relationship between helmets and piano lessons, Dana challenges the stereotypes, identifies behaviors and mindsets that work, and celebrates the killer app each group can offer the other. Dana, I've been looking forward to the opportunity to talk with you, and it's a special privilege that we get to do it face-to-face since we're both here at the PMI Global Conference 2017. So thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule here and sitting down with me. Thanks for having me. Well, it's certainly my pleasure. And I love this topic. So you've agreed to sit down with us and provide some perspectives on millennials and millennials in the workplace, millennials in project management, really from both perspectives of those managing them and as millennials move into some of those leadership roles. And uh, I think it couldn't come at a better time. We have so many millennials in the workforce and continuing to enter the workforce. Obviously, it's a, a critical piece of the workforce overall. So with that in mind, let's pick up with this idea of, of really who we're talking about. So, you know, some, a number of researchers have kicked this question around. The Census Bureau actually doesn't recognize millennials as a group, as a standalone group, but there are those that have published some numbers around it. So I think we're going to go with Neil Howard, sorry, Neil Howe and William Strauss, who, first of all, called millennials the next great generation. I might get your thoughts on that in a moment. But they define the group as those born between 1982 and 2004. So that's kind of who we're talking about. So for me, that means I have one child who is and one child who isn't. Uh, We'll see if they turn out differently. Um, But with that group in mind, what do you think is the big difference? If we accept that there are some differences for that generation generally, and we are painting with a broad brush, but what's the big difference? I think that, again, as you've alluded to, we have to be careful because, of course, we want to treat everyone as an individual. And as much as we talk about distinctions, there are always exceptions. But for me and my experience and my work with clients and as a trainer, I see four significant uniquenesses or characteristics. First one is think about it. These millennials have grown up with what I would call a very different parenting style. It was not that, hey, go out and play and come back when the lights go off, you know, the the street lights go off and whatever you do in the interim, you're on your own. Yeah, I've had so many of my friends say, my parents didn't know where we were. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell my husband, well, just because you did it didn't mean it was a good idea. <laughs> but so they have had a very, very different parenting style. It's that, you know, you've got to have a helmet on while you're playing the piano and everyone, <laughs> you know, there are no grades and everyone is great. And, you know, you're right. not 
struggling, but you're just doing it differently and, and right. different is great and yeah. everyone gets an A. And so with that sort of helicopter parenting, now they're being thrust into this corporate jungle. And in their defense, that can feel fairly stark and it, and it can feel very, very different. I'm actually reminded, I'm thinking about a client that I had one time who literally told me that this one millennial who was on our team just couldn't get to work on time. And after a while of talking to her, the, the person's mother actually called her <laughs> to say, well, you know, she never could get up in the morning. And so you really need to be a little bit more lenient with her because that's just the way she is. And so, you know, one, just that parenting right. style makes a, a huge difference in terms right. of what their expectations are of themselves and of the world. And then secondly, Let's think about how companies have changed. You and I probably came up in a time where things were very hierarchical, almost militaristic. I mean, you had these huge org charts on everybody's desk and you knew who reported to who and um, you did things pretty much because your boss told you to do it and you didn't have a whole lot of questions and didn't need a whole lot of background on it. You just did it because you were told to do it. And there's been a lot of shift away from that. And, and I'm not saying that's bad, but that shift has been towards servant leadership and bottom up and it's okay to question. And again, I say that a lot of those shifts have been good. However, we cannot look at them um, in an extreme fashion. And a lot of times we make the ex we have the expectation that they might have a context that they don't necessarily have. I mean, let's look at, for example, even you know our president is tweeting things out because he wants direct contact with the the average Joe queue walking down the street, but then they might think, okay, if I have a question, it's okay for me to tweet it to the president of the company, or it's okay for me to pick up the phone and call my boss's boss without talking to my boss first. So just that whole concept of hierarchy, I call it organizational savvy. A lot of times they may not have, and they may need someone to kind of walk with them and provide them that, that coaching of kind of the informal rules of the workplace, something that they may not have learned in college. A third difference that I see is just this whole concept of work-life balance. A lot of times I know I've worked with a lot of millennials who just have a whole completely different expectation about what their day looks like, you know, being able to telecommute on Mondays and Fridays, having a four-day work week. And again, those aren't necessarily bad things. I think that a lot of those are positive trends that we see in the workplace. But I think what's different is I literally remember working for a major company when the whole concept of four-day work week came up or being able to telecommute. It was a big deal. We had to actually write a business case. We had to have a trial just to ensure that work would not suffer if we moved to this new paradigm. Well, now fast forward 20 years and it's an expectation. People are sitting in their interviews for companies saying, well, I need to you know, work from home on Mondays and Fridays. Is, is that going to be a problem? And so that distinction makes a huge difference in terms of what the project output might look like. If someone is looking at this not as a privilege, but as a right or as an expectation, then I think that that's setting ourselves up for some difficult conversations to come in the future. And then finally, a major difference that I see is just the communication, the expectations around communication. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, so many millennials just are not as used to the face-to-face -face conversation, even the phone conversation. 
even the phone conversations. So much more is happening over text, over IM, over uh, social media, things like that. And when we talk about projects and project management, relationship building is so important. And I talk about selecting the right communication mode and so many of my training classes and customizing your communication mode depending upon the situation and depending upon the person you're communicating with. And if you're coming from a paradigm where 90% of your communication is online or is on your or is through your phone, but you're being called or you're being presented with situations that really do require that face-to-face communication or picking up the phone, getting away from the email volleyball that's gone on for three weeks and actually picking up the phone to call Sam to work it out or walking across the Starbucks to really try to work through this issue instead of kind of hiding behind text or social media, that can cause some issues as well. So I would say the communication mode choices I, I see as a fourth issue. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think that's a, I think it's a great way to kind of put a ribbon around a lot, what a lot of the key issues are. If I am in the workforce today as a, and let's just, let's just draw a scenario here. So uh, middle-aged-ish, um, and I'm managing a large project, I'm working in a and it doesn't have to be Fortune 100, but I'm working in a fairly large corporate environment. So I'm not in a 12-person garage-based startup. And I have more and more and more millennials coming in, more and more that are either already on my team, that are joining my team. Some of, some of them actually have been in the workforce for a while. But if we think about some of those that are relatively new or entirely new to that corporate environment, if I'm a project manager, really any manager, where am I likely going to need to make the first um, accommodation or the first adaptation to how I lead? I think that some of the first things that need to happen fall in the bucket of awareness and relationship building. So first of all, we just as human beings tend to think the way we think, and we think that everyone thinks the way we think. So we think that we have a much more homogenous team than we do. And the reality is there's so much more diversity on our teams today, and that probably will only increase. So the first step is just having this level of awareness that people are different, and they're coming from a completely different perspective. I had a guy who came up to me in one of my training sessions one time, he worked for an airline, and literally said to me that he couldn't believe it that someone on his team kind of pulled him aside, one of the younger people on his team, and said that he needed help making a phone call. And he looked at him and said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I've never actually used a desk phone, so I don't know how to use it. So how many of us in our 40s and 50s would look at him crazy because we've just never thought about it from that perspective? And then he actually went on to tell me, hey, I told him, hey, step one, you pick up the receiver. Then you're going to hear this weird noise (laughs) that you may not have ever heard before. It's called dial tone. But you never really thought about the fact that it is a different process than when you're using a mobile device. So step one for me is just having that awareness and being open to taking extra steps or doing things to try to address. We talk about the upside of diversity. Well, you know, I don't want to say there's a downside, but there's some certain steps that we might need to take to accommodate the diversity so that we have that cohesive team. And then another step right after awareness, I say is relationship building. The biggest mistake that I see 
with the four generations being in the workplace at the same time is we break off in the cliques. I mean, mm, and sometimes yeah. it's not just about age. I mean, sometimes it's the smokers. The smokers are outside all huddled, right. you know, smoking. And so they become a clique or the people right. from New York or whatever it might sure. be. But I do think that we tend to break off into our cliques. And if anything, that exacerbates the situation. So it reinforces negative stereotypes. It doesn't allow us the opportunity to really get to know one another and learn from each other. They're amazing skills and talents. You mentioned possibly the greatest generation amazing skills and talents that these millennials bring. So we need to use that. We need to have a more symbiotic relationship. And I'll just give you a a wonderful, tiny, tiny example. When I was doing, when I was having an orientation session, being onboarded to a major Fortune 200 company, they actually paired us up into pairs um, and assigned us rental cars. And so instead of, so for an entire week, I had a partner that I had to, you know, ride in every morning with and ride back every evening. Now, this person was probably 25, 30 years my senior. Mm -hmm. I probably otherwise would have never gotten to know him at all. I would have just huddled with the other young people (laughs) in the group and talked to them about the cool stuff. But I rode in with him and rode back with him every single morning for five days. I actually got to know the man. I mean, he was my parents' age, but guess what? I got to know him. I got to like him. You know, a lot of times they teach, know me, like me, trust me. Mm. We all know how important trust is for an organization. It's hard to trust a person you don't like, and it's hard to like a person you don't know. So it all starts with being very intentional about breaking up those clicks and creating opportunities for people who might come from different generations to actually get to know each other. And then from there, you can do some amazing things. Yeah, so we kind of moved into this space of talking about how someone as a manager who's outside of that millennial band needs to think about their priorities for adapting, for accommodating. And you talked really about this idea of first recognizing that these are still individuals. Yeah, we may think of people in particular groups, uh, but in that there's still an incredible level of diversity and they're still individuals. So there's adapting to that or, or being aware of that. You moved also to this further awareness of the people and then building that awareness through relationship building. I think that's fantastic. Now, we placed most of that on the responsibility of the manager and for the person who's likely more senior, which is exactly what I ask you. I want to turn it around, though. So if I'm now the young person, I'm in my 20s, I may have some work experience, but maybe I'm coming into my first real corporate job and I'm coming into the, the first time that I've really been in that kind of a structure and that kind of an environment. Where am I likely to need to make the first accommodations or the first adaptations to be successful there? I think that, first of all, it's so astute to acknowledge that responsibility lies on both ends. I mean, you're not going to be successful with this as as the project manager or the manager if you assume that you're the full and complete solution. So both parties really need to shift in terms of expectation setting and and really kind of pull, pull their weight. So from the other side of the coin, the millennial side, first of all, I think there really needs to be a mental shift in terms of expectations. The reality is their life and their lifestyle coming from wherever they came from, most of them coming from a college sort of environment, to this corporate sort of environment 
is a completely different environment. Not unlike if you move from one sort of company to a different sort of company culture, there's an adjustment that needs to happen there mentally. There should be an acknowledgement that when you move into a different environment, the onus is on you largely to adapt to that environment. And so I think that that is one of the the big shifts that that needs to happen is one, really making an attempt to get up to speed to say, hey, what's my corporate culture here? What's okay? What's not okay? I've consulted lots of different, I've worked in, you know, very kind of buttoned up stodgy sorts of cultures. And then I've worked in with some media companies where people have blue hair and piercings. And I promise you, they were very, very different cultures with very, very different norms. So I think that a large part of the responsibility of millennials is to really acknowledge where they are and what shifts needs to happen from an expectation perspective. Um, Another big thing that I think really falls on them from an onus perspective is really learning to take feedback well. Okay, one of the biggest litmus tests that I use for younger employees or team members is not just how well do they do on a particular task, but how well do they take correction? How well do they take feedback? Because I promise you, if I get someone who takes feedback really well and then I can tell they internalized it, they didn't, you know, fall down in a puddle and, you know, cry and start getting super defensive and turning it around and saying it's about me and and all that. If I don't have to go through those drama and theatrics, that's someone that I can work with much better. Um, And so for me, I really look at, you know, how do you take that feedback? The analogy I use is like with a boxer. Boxing is not just about, you know, giving punches, but it's also about can you take a punch? And that really says a lot about you. Maybe that's not the best analogy. (laughs) (laughs) That really says a lot about you in terms of your longevity from from a career management perspective. It's so people who know how to take that feedback in a very, very positive way without getting um, completely defensive, without letting it demoralize them. And then they use that as fuel to really make themselves better. So I think that learning that early on is absolutely key. And we did we did check, and to date, Dana Brownlee has never punched a client. <laughs> Thank you. She's never punched a Thank client or or a team member. So that's uh, that's to her credit. Um, no, thank you for that, and I, and I appreciate what you've drawn out here. You've really underscored the idea that that this successful working relationship, as we have, as you said, multiple generations in the workforce today, and people are staying in the workforce longer, which means that's getting spread out even more. People are working alongside others that are literally young enough to be their grandchildren. And that it's not about one group adapting to the other, or one group accommodating the other. It's really uh, reciprocal. What do you think is the the more positive scenario for getting the most productivity and the greatest satisfaction for millennials? I think the best scenario for millennials is really for everyone is having a more balanced policy. I think that where, and when I say balance, I mean to use programs like work from home, four day work week, telecommuting, virtual office, things like that, where it actually really makes logical sense as opposed to overreacting possibly to saying, oh, oh my God, there's a stat saying that, you know, millennials have to have this. And so now we're just going to, you know, move to some crazy scenario 
scenario where everybody can work from home. You know, you don't have to have any justification. And so what I think you tend to find is the pendulum may be swung too far in one direction. And so now there's being a course correction, which might swing a little bit too far in the other direction. When I was starting and we were actually writing business cases about four day work week and, and telecommuting, we looked at the benefits and the costs. And guess what? They didn't apply equally to everyone in every situation. There's some sorts of roles, maybe the IT people, it made a lot more sense for that they could do it from home. They weren't client facing. A lot of the work that they did really required concentration, so that made a lot more sense. But now I have clients who are really struggling with this, where they say, well, my friend who's in another department, he gets to work from home three days a week. Why can't we? And so you can see just in the asking of that question, the paradigm is completely different. Yeah. Telecommuting is no longer a privilege. Now it's being viewed as an expectation. Kind of like, right. well, my friend Johnny can do it. Why can't I do it? Right. And companies right. have to be really careful about setting policy based on trends. Okay. That's probably why um, I, I know fidget spinners was, were such a trend. And now I see like everyone's got all these leftover fidget spinners <laughs> because that's kind of fizzled out at this point. So you can't can't really let trends set policy. I think we need to go back to looking at things like telecommuting, working from home, four-day work week as wonderful opportunities, but let's look at implementing them where they make sense to the extent that they make sense. And let's be very clear with all of our employees about how that's being rolled out. Okay. So it's not yeah. being viewed as this privilege that I should just have just because I'm breathing and I'm, walk I'm, I'm working, I'm working in your space. Yeah. Yeah. And so thank you for that. And I want to ask you about something specific. So as I listen to, uh, to the sort of pundits around this topic, around how to best manage millennials and what millennials are looking for in the workforce and in a work environment and what their priorities are. One of the things that keeps coming up is this, this connectedness, a kind of connectedness. And some have argued that it's a, that it's a different kind of connectedness that maybe, than maybe other generations have experienced, but the way they pay attention to each other, you know, they're more likely to share their salaries and, they are highly connected throughout the day through social media and so forth, all these kinds of things. So w what does that say? Does it say anything about the work environment? In other words, if I, if, if I come at that as my life experience to this point, d does your experience and the clients you're encountering tell you that they tend to be more satisfied as a group? And we are talking broad strokes here, but gener generationally, do they tend to be more satisfied if they can sit in a big wide open room and see their friends or, uh, or have the flexibility of working from home? I love that question. I think that in a lot of ways, millennials really are pushing us to do what we should have been doing all along. So I completely agree with that. What I tend to hear is echoing a lot of what you're hearing is that in a lot of ways, they want job satisfaction. They want to feel like they're making a difference. They want true and authentic feedback. So again, let's contrast this with our grandfather or maybe even our father. You know, when, when he went to work in the coal mines, you know, I don't think he was necessarily focused on, you know, his individual personal job satisfaction. He did that because he needed a check. Right. And so in a lot right. of ways, I don't think it occurred to them in previous generations to connect your work and your work life with your personal satisfaction. And so a lot of, in a lot of ways, I think millennials are forcing us. Right 
to ask that question or forcing us to say that, yes, you should be deriving satisfaction from your work life. And shouldn't that make sense? And so a lot of that, I think, makes complete sense. I just think that we as managers can't necessarily, we shouldn't um, run off half cocked just because someone asked for X or Y um, or overreact or over respond to one particular person's request. We always have to look at that within context and we always have to be careful about setting policy. So when it comes to things like, you know, really wanting and receiving tangible feedback and coaching, really wanting development, wanting to feel like we're making a difference, all of those things, I think that they're wonderful and I think they absolutely should happen. But the reality is the other side of that coin is there probably does need to be some messaging that sometimes I think we assume that people understand, but they may not, which is, hey, most of what you do in your job is not necessarily that you love it, that you jump out of bed and want to do it, but it's because you have to do it. It's the same conversation I have with my eight-year-old, and and to be honest, I have a little bit of frustration with her school where they don't have any homework. So Mm. I'm, I'm like, well, but part of what I'm trying to teach her as a parent is that there's some work that you need to do when you get home from school because you just have to do it because you're a student, because you're eight, okay? And then after you do that, you get to play. Yeah. And so, of course, what do I do? I'm popular. I create her own homework. <laughs> so nobody else in her class has homework but her. Yeah. But there's that lesson there because I guess what? If she continues to go through life thinking right. that, okay, when you get home, you just get to play and do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. There's not this concept of, well, no, you have to do what you need to do right. in order to get to do what you want to do. And I think that's an important lesson to learn. And sometimes when we don't learn it, when we're eight and we're 10 and we're 18, then we get into the workplace and we think that, oh, 100% of what I do all day should feel meaningful. And it should be because I choose to do it. And it should be the perfect fit with, you know, my interests and my skill set. Yes, that should be a goal. But there also is the acknowledgement that sometimes it's just work that has to be done. And there's a piece of it that we just have to do. Yeah, yeah. I have a 12 year old that would enroll at your daughter's school tomorrow, <laughs> given the choice. I'm, I'm sure. We all would. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dana, we talked a little while ago about this idea of being on the side of the equation of, of welcoming millennials into the workforce, welcoming, welcoming them into our teams, into our companies, uh, from the perspective of someone who is older than that generation. We also talked about that the millennials' perspective of coming in new or relatively new to teams and into the workforce, to corporate settings, uh, under the direction or management or leadership uh, of people that are that are older than them, by definition, uh, outside of that millennial band. I want to go back to that, but with a little bit different focus. So if I am that person who is older than that, I'm in a position of leadership, I am welcoming millennials into my team, into my company, into my organization, what should light up for me? And I know we're talking in broad strokes here, but what should light up for me when I see that kind of age band walking through the door, then what is that thought where I should be saying this group brings something special? What is it? What's the special? What's the killer app? Certainly. Well, I think the obvious thought is technology is that they you know they live they breathe it they you know it's it's funny how they look at the types you could tell how old you are by what technology you use so I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn so I'm officially old (laughs) and so as my husband who has sisters who are much younger and so when I ask them what technology they use literally things I have not heard of 
Okay. Right. I have right. not even heard of these things. I have no concept yeah, they're, of them. They're apps with made up words. And, yeah, <laughs> sure. But they're talking yeah. a completely different language. Yeah. And guess what? They're talking to each other. So if yeah. I'm trying to reach them in any sort of way, I'm probably not going to do it in Facebook and LinkedIn. So the first obvious thing is they're tapped into an entire network that many of us are not from a technology perspective. I mean, they just bring a wealth of knowledge, comfort, familiarity. So I think that that's obvious. The other element, and I think that this doesn't sound earth shattering, but it really can be, is that they bring a completely new, fresh perspective. In some ways, they're a blank slate. They're not constrained by the way we've always done things or the way they've happened in the past. A new, fresh perspective, a new way of thinking about things. So I think that those things are, are just going to be huge in terms of what they bring. And then I just also have to say one of the first things I'd advise project managers Again, of course, don't make assumptions, but meet with people individually. When I had new people join my team, I would always meet with them individually and I would ask them just all kinds of things. I would ask them, hey, are you a morning person or an evening person? You know, what's what's better for you? What if I were to reward you for doing a great job with something, what reward would be most meaningful for you? Yeah. And I promise you, it varies dramatically. Yeah. There's yeah. some people where you could give them an extra assignment or a trip somewhere, and that would be a punishment. But for someone else, it would be a reward. So figure out what really gets them or what's more motivating for them. And so I would ask them, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? What are you truly interested in? If you weren't doing this, what would you rather do? The more you can, going back to good to great, get them on the right seat on the bus, the easier time you're going to have in terms of motivation. So trying to find that fit, trying to give them meaning is huge. So I would certainly say, yes, they bring a lot. I think the technology is going to be huge, the fresh perspective. But I would also say, you know, just get to know them as a person because that's going to be huge as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we are totally out of time. Thank you, uh, Dana, for, for being so flexible. I want to ask you one more thing before you take off. Is this a direction that makes sense for young people coming into the workforce in terms of gaining project management skills, whether or not they're going to put that on their business card. I know you've you've talked about and written about this topic before, so I'm interested to get your kind of summary around project management skills for folks that are young and entering the workforce or working their way up. Where do you come down on that? I absolutely think that project management skills are so critical. In fact, I've even spoken with my graduate school a few times about trying to build some sort of project management curriculum into their their MBA program because I feel like it's missing. What I starkly remember as a new strategy consultant with IBM is they put me on these projects and they're high profile and a lot of money is involved. And when I think about the curriculum, I mean, the MBA curriculum was amazing, but so much of what I needed, the skill set that I needed, really came back to project management. It wasn't Porter's Five Forces or the 7S model or you know any of that stuff that I felt that they were kind of infusing in us. It was the fundamentals of managing a project. And actually, you know, one of the topics that I talk about when I teach a, a class about managing millennials and working in a multi-generational workplace, and actually I have a little flyer that I'm showing you right now that says, you know, Dana's top 10 tips for early career professionals. And tip number four is there are just certain skills that you may not have learned, but you 
absolutely need to be successful. Tip number four, learn how to manage a project. Learn how to lead a meeting really well. You probably didn't have formal training on that, but guess what? That's at least half of what you're going to do day in and day out in a corporate environment. So project management is not just for the construction industry. It's for everyone. My husband is a physician and I work in healthcare quite a lot and almost everyone I bump into says, oh, well, we need that. You know, well, everyone does. So unfortunately, it tends not to show up in a lot of academic curriculums, but in terms of real work life success or success in the workplace, project management skills are absolutely critical. Fantastic. And with that, Dana Brownlee gets the last word. Dana, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I could do this all day. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's been great. We'll look forward to next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. For an easy way to stay up to date on Projectified with PMI, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and PMI.org slash podcasts.